Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Right, we are. The Chronological Gospels, Lesson 43, getting pretty deep into this. And we are right now at the, what the theologians would describe as the end of the second year of Jesus's ministry and the start of the third and final year of his ministry. So we're right in a transitional point of Jesus's ministry. There'll be some fine lines drawn uh, between, by the end of John chapter 6, which will uh, begin in John 6 today, but we will finish it next week. And at the end of chapter 6, we looked at this verse last week, John chapter 6, verse 66, and many of his disciples turn away and walked with him no more. There's going to be a, a fine line of division drawn between the second and third year of Jesus' ministry. Also, there'll be an uptick of the attack of the religious rulers against Jesus. They are determined by this time that they want him dead. They want him out of the way. They just don't know how to go about it because he is very popular. And they're afraid that if he would, they would take him and cause him to be put to death, that it would cause an uproar that they could not control. And even when Jesus will be crucified at the end of the third year, the religious rulers in their hearts, they were saying, this needs to happen, but not now, not during Passover. They were worried about how the people might respond. And God was saying, yes, now during Passover, Because Jesus Christ died as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The timing was God's, not man's. But we will see a change really being established over the next few weeks. Today, though, we are following, which we looked at last week, the feeding of the 5,000, where they had five loaves and two fish, and the Lord broke the loaves, and broke the fish, distributed it to his disciples. The disciples gave it to the people that 5,000 men at that time were fed, and we can include also the women and children who were there. So possibly the number could have been around 20,000 at this time. And Jesus, and we'll learn this from John's gospel, that he saw that the people were ready to make him king. And he saw that this situation could turn badly very quickly So John tells us that he dismissed the people. He sent his disciples away in a boat and then went up on a mountain to pray. And after praying to his father, and we're going to learn about this today, the disciples in the middle, and one of the gospels tells us that, that they were in the middle of the sea. The winds were prevailing against them. They were struggling at rowing against the winds that Jesus came to them walking on the water. Once ashore, 
The sick found Jesus again. They came out to touch the hem of his garment that they might be healed. And then we finally, in John's gospel, end up in Capernaum once again, where the people sought for Jesus for a different purpose, that they might be fed. They were hungry again, but not hungry for spiritual things, but physical things. So we're going to see all that. Jesus walking on the water. How from Matthew's gospel, uh, Peter asked that he could get out of the boat and join him on the water. Only Matthew tells us about that part of this account. How Jesus in Gennesaret, in the area of Gennesaret, that those who were there were reaching out to touch the hem of his garment. We're going to talk about the touch of faith and how important that is to this day. And then ask the question, why are you seeking after Jesus? We find in John's gospel today that many were seeking that they might be have their physical needs met, not thinking about the importance of the spiritual needs. So today we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at Jesus and his walking on the water, as the scripture tells us here in verse 22, immediately. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So this happened immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. As I said from John's gospel, we learned that the situation Jesus knew was going to kind of get out of hand. So he separated the disciples from the multitudes, who everyone, even the disciples at this time, they were anticipating the anointed one. They were anticipating the Messiah's coming. Yet they were looking for the Messiah of the second coming and not what we know of from Scripture, the Messiah of the first coming. So in a sense, think about it this way. The disciples at this point, and also those who were fed at the feeding of the 5,000, they were seeking out the Jesus that we are anticipating today. We're not looking for the Messiah of the first coming. We're looking for the Messiah of the second coming. So were they. And they were looking for Jesus to come, the Messiah to come, to set up a political kingdom on the earth, to uh, get rid of the Roman influence over their lives, to provide for their needs. They did not know of the necessity of Jesus coming the first time to give his life upon the cross. Right now, today, we who are Christians hold to this. Not all Christians hold to a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial view of Scripture. But we do here at Calvary Chapel. And we believe that the second coming refers to Jesus' future return to the earth at the end of this present age, the age of grace. In this view of the second coming, it consists of two main events. First, there'll be Jesus returning for his church to glorify it. We call this the rapture of the church when he comes to take us into heaven before the seven years of great tribulation. And second, at the end of the tribulation period, Christ will return again in power and great glory to judge the nations, to set up his millennial kingdom on the earth. Jesus promised 
in John 14, 3. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am there, you will always be. So the first coming refers to his incarnation. When Jesus put on flesh, according to Philippians 2.8, he came in the appearance of man. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus came the first time to make a way for sinful humanity to be redeemed through his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. Paul wrote it this way in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And at that time, even the disciples did not completely understand the purpose of of Jesus' coming the first time. They were at this point really anticipating the Messiah of the second coming. But Jesus was on a timetable that God had ordained for him. It was pointing him toward the cross and he was not going to allow anyone or anything to deter him from fulfilling his father's mission. So after he had sent the multitudes away in verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening had come, he was there alone. And so the day, if you remember from last week, had begun with Jesus telling his disciples who had just returned to him. They had been sent out by Jesus two by two, going out to evangelize the region in that area. And they were able to cast out demons, to proclaim the word of God, to heal the sick. And they were excited when they came back to Jesus. The Bible tells us that they came with joy. They rejoiced at the things that the Lord had allowed them to do. And Jesus said, this is great, boys. Let's go on a retreat. Let's get away for a little bit. Mark tells us that the crowds were so pressing in on them that they didn't at times even have time to eat. And so no doubt the disciples were thinking, this will be great. Just us and Jesus, we're going to get away for a few days. It'll be great. Yet the people followed. Suddenly their private, personal retreat with Jesus, just the 13 of them, turned into about 20,013. And even at the end of that day, the disciples were telling Jesus to send them away. I can just kind of see the disciples saying, this was supposed to be our time. It was supposed to be just us and you, Jesus. Send the people away. Besides, we don't have anything to feed them with. And it's a deserted place. So send them into the villages. Send them into the town. And the Lord, of course, challenged them saying, you give them something to eat. And there was the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They were busy. And even Jesus, after that day, we might be tempted to tell Jesus, you need to get away. You need to have some rest. And yet I believe Jesus would respond to us. I find my rest in my Father, in communion with my Father. So he did what he had often done. 
He sent away his disciples. He departed to a secluded place where he might pray. In Luke 5, 15 and 16, however, the report went around concerning him all the more. Great multitudes came together to hear, to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he often withdrew into the wilderness and pray. In the busyness of our lives, it would be wise to follow Jesus' example, to renew our strength in the Lord, to get away, to spend time in prayer. As Isaiah 40, 31, I just read this maybe last week, a couple of weeks ago for sure. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In this life, it's good for us, healthy for us to wait upon the Lord. Now the disciples, while Jesus is on the mountain praying with his father, and actually one of the other gospels lets us know that he could see them. He was watching over them. Matthew tells us, Matthew 24 through 27, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. The wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. So while the disciples were out on the middle of this storm, Jesus kind of finishing his prayer time with the Father, Mark tells us that they were straining at rowing. Matthew here tells us that the wind was contrary to them. And although they were trying to be obedient, the Lord is the one that put them in the boat. The Lord is the one that gave them the destination where they should go. The winds opposed their progress. And likewise, in this life, Satan will often stand in opposition against those who are trying to accomplish God's will and call for their lives. The disciples were not disobedient to Jesus, yet they found themselves in the midst of a storm, and they were struggling to be obedient to Christ. It would have been easier to say, just let the wind carry us, and wherever we might end up, that's where we'll end up. But they were struggling. They wanted to be obedient to the Lord's call, to the Lord's guidance. And in this life, we're going to have similar struggles. We're trying to walk in obedience to the word of God, but stuff in life continues to hinder us. And we need to be aware that sometimes that hindrance is of our own cause. At other times, that hindrance is spiritual and it is coming from the evil one. As Peter warned us in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We all go through stuff. That's what Peter was saying. We all have struggles. We all experience it. But we are called to resist, to be steadfast in faith. And that's the only way that we can, through faith in Jesus Christ, to make a stand. At times, Jesus will speak something into our hearts to see if we will be obedient to his call. 
Like the disciples, they strained, though, at the oars. They might have felt at that time that they'd been abandoned by Jesus, but what they did not know is that Jesus was watching over them. And at such times, sometimes the Lord, we may feel abandoned by the Lord. It could be that the Lord is just testing us. He's wanting to see our spiritual muscle, to see if we're going to remain faithful to his call. And like at this time, we should take comfort knowing that Jesus is watching over us and will come to us, even if it seems at the late hour, at the last hour, even at the fourth hour of the night, technically, whether talking about Roman time or Hebrew time, somewhere between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus came out to them walking on the water. The disciples believed that they had seen a ghost, and they cried out because of that, and Jesus said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, Jesus used that phrase, Be of good cheer, seven times. Here's two of my favorites. In Matthew 9, 2, Behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Why is that a favorite of mine? Because in that passage where the four friends brought their friend to Jesus, Jesus did not look at the friend who was sick, the paralytic, and say, because of your faith, the Bible tells us, that Jesus saw the faith of the friends and said, be of good cheer to the man who is lying on the cot. Your sin is forgiven you. I love that because it reminds me that the work that we do as individuals, maybe as a group, four friends in this example, they were working in behalf of their friend with the mindset of if I can only, if we can only, get our friend to Jesus, maybe he'll be made well. Maybe they'll be made whole. And the Lord saw their faith. Don't discount your faith in regards to praying for others and serving others and attempting to bring them to Jesus. It's a reason to have good cheer. The second one, for me, a favorite in John 16, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to, to you that... You may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Has anybody ever been in any kind of tribulation, troubles in this life? Anyone? Oh, you guys, you haven't made. Okay, this verse then is for me. I want to hang on to that. Don't you? When we're in trials, when we're in tribulations, when trouble is upon us, when our nation is in a, a time of just struggling like it is right now, inflation rising, uh, it seems like our paychecks are very limited in what they can do for us, and we're struggling to get by week by week. Uh, there could be sickness, there could be illness in our family, there could be struggles in our own faith. We need to know that the Lord has overcome. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. 
So only Matthew tells us about Peter walking on the water. He did walk on the water. I don't know if he made it one step or two steps, but have anybody else ever tried to step out of the boat? I've stepped out of boats before. It's not even a one step. It's just out and sinking. It's time to swim. And I go out of the boat for the purpose of swimming, although I haven't done that in a long time. So Peter, verses 28 through 29, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, it always gives me this image of this isn't, they said they were straining about rowing. So we think in our mind, a rowboat, but I've never seen a rowboat that could hold 13 men. And um, when we were in Israel, and if you get an opportunity to go to Israel over in the area of Tiberias, they have a museum there when in a very dry season, uh, just happened in the last 20 years, I believe, there in Israel, the Sea of Galilee began to, and you got to understand that they use the water there. So they helped deplete the water from the Sea of Galilee because they use it for drinking water. But the sea was um, getting lower and lower, and they found a boat from the time of Christ. And uh, it was there on the beach one day, somebody walking on the beach. They came across some what they thought was driftwood, but it was pretty much the ruins of this boat. And it was a pretty large vessel, so much so that they built this whole museum around it, recovered it, and it was rather large. So uh, Peter came down out of the boat that, you know, it wasn't just merely stepping over the side, but it was a larger vessel. And he walked on the water. It doesn't tell us how long he walked on the water. Here's the thing in verse 30. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So what happened? Initially, he's looking at Jesus. Lord, if it's you, command me to come. The Lord said, come. And no doubt, he got out of that boat. He stood there for a moment. And he looked at Jesus and he's like, this isn't right. <laughs> I should be sinking right now. But he had his eyes on Jesus. Matthew tells us when he saw that the wind was boisterous, the waves, that there was this condition of impossibility, but also the conflict that was of the sea itself boiling around them. 